Welcome back to another episode of the Shifting Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and I'm recording without tonsils for the first time. Or, or Arthur. Uh, yeah, Arthur's not here today. He's out and about, per usual. And uh, today I have Bill Kennedy with me from Backbone Bourbon, Bone Snapper Eye. What's the official umbrella? That ever, is it Backbone that you operate? It's the Backbone Bourbon Company. Backbone Bourbon Company. And Crossroad Vintners. That's right. So you're a distributor and you also got your own brain of bourbon. So um, we've got all kinds of fun stuff to talk about today because we, we don't often have, you know, uh, folks come in that work in that, at least in distribution. Arthur doesn't talk about it as much. <laughs> right? I mean, like other than the co-host, right? Um, so welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks, Ed. Nice to be here. I know. Finally. Been, yeah, right. We've been trying to get this together for a while. And so um, since you and I got stuck not getting go to not getting to go to Tails, you know, um, yeah, I didn't get to go to Tales of Service. You know, oh, by the way, um, Eric Castro, if you're out there listening, congratulations on the win. Like, it's one of my favorite shows. I listen to Bartender Large, like, constantly. It's, like, perfectly timed for my drive to work every morning. So, um, yeah, fantastic. I'll listen to it on the way home. Yeah, you listen to it on the way home. I yeah. will listen to it on the way home. He's, he's awesome, man. I mean, he really does. He, I think his intro, he's, like, saying, you know, he's got some of the biggest names in the business, and he's not lying when he says that. It's like every week he's got this roster. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, how do you get these fucking guests? And I'm stuck with Bill Kennedy. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll get there one of these days. Yeah. So, man, you've got tons of stuff going on, but, like, I'm really, um, we've been supporting your brand for a while now, and it's cool that it's yeah, local. thank you. And so Backbone Bourbon, um, you know, before we get into, like, how the hell you started, like, your own brand here, we were chatting a little bit before we sat down today. Um, about you know where you had come from, but like how did you get started in this business in general? Because you've had your fingers in a lot of different aspects of the business, you know, as far as like distribution, you got your you know, as a producer, but that's not obviously where you started. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the flip answer to that is by accident. Um, you know, I, I uh, were you a bass player too? No, <laughs> no, no, wasn't. But it's uh, a prerequisite for being in the service industry. Um, <laughs> I, I started out, I guess, in the service industry in, in high school because I knew they, at that time, they were hiring. Uh, you could be under the age of 16 and work in a restaurant, and no one really questioned it uh, until I was above the age of 16. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, bussing tables, washing dishes, uh, I was fascinated by the, uh, by the environment and the energy and the cast of characters that worked in restaurants. So uh, I was, I was kind of drawn to it. What year and, are we talking about here? Oh, that would have been like 1971, okay. 72. Right on. And uh, that was on the north side of Chicago. And, um, you know, going to high school and, you know, people that probably never would have talked to me, uh, but we happened to work in the same restaurant. I, I had some degree of social status with some people anyway, but... Um, it got me through college. Uh, same thing, you know, washing dishes and whatever it was. Uh, getting to to the point of serving, tending bar on a really crude level, and then uh, yeah, seventies the uh, golden era of cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you only say that because of Golden Cadillac, or, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> but now uh, was it was uh, nothing like it is today. That's for sure. But. Uh, you know, getting I, I went to uh, Indiana University, and uh, my family lived in uh, the great state of Maryland, and I would go back and forth doing various jobs during the summer, uh, always keeping a hand in uh, or a foot in the service industry, 
And when I graduated from uh, IU, uh, their business school, uh, at probably one of the worst times of our economy post-depression, um, the having some skills, you know, or some background in the service industry served me well when I uh, moved to the District of Columbia and, and uh, started working um, in the Watergate Hotel, which was probably about uh, five or six years after the the hearings. Uh, oh no shit! About seven, maybe seven years after the break-in. Yeah, yeah. So it, it had, you know, that kind of. Still had that stigma, right? But uh, I mean, shit, man. A, Every time I walk by the Watergate, I, I still think of that. I mean, it's yeah, we're, we're yeah, well it removed a, from it now. It, it was a, it was a, it was a fascinating uh, place to work. Um, we had restaurants. The restaurant group I worked with had restaurants all over the complex. Um, I became the de facto mayor at a at a young age, and and uh, in a you know my meteoric rise in uh, <laughs> the, the sub political world. Um, but no, it was, it was a great place to uh, to work and, and uh, learn a lot of things about the business of the service industry anyway. So you were in management when you were, by the time you- like, Yeah, you know, I started out as like an assistant restaurant manager and, and, uh, and you know, if you talk about, and I, I won't take the whole two hours that we're gonna spend today <laughs> talking about it, but- uh, Let me get a couple more <laughs> bottles of rum. We'll compete <laughs> no. with uh, Jeff Berry to see if we can yeah. really. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> there's a challenge. So, uh, no, I, I, I'll. When you ask how I got in, and I think about uh, my manager, who I was an assistant to, you know, almost grabbed me by the lapels and was like, you know, almost shaking me, like, "Look, if you're serious about being in this business, you need to learn about wine." I'm like. I know about wine, you know, white, red, rosé. And she's like, <laughs> stop. So uh, she she convinced me to, uh, the, there's the Sommelier Society of Washington, D.C. had a professional course that was about two hours uh, a week on Tuesdays between service downtown. And it was about eight weeks. And I can tell you after the first class, I was... I, I don't think I had, there were very few classes that I had ever taken in my academic career that had me that hooked as learning about uh, wine. And, uh, and not just like, okay, great, it's got alcohol and mm -hmm. we're between service and it's a nice break. Uh, learning everything, whether it's, you know, uh, historical, cultural, social, sociological, and all, all the things that create uh, wine and, uh, uh, more than just grapes and yeast. Uh, and then once I had been about halfway through that course, uh, the organization I worked for had fired the person that was in charge of uh, their beverage program, and they thought I should take that over. And I, I was, you know, pretty wet behind the ears. I don't even know if, <laughs> there was even, if it was even wet, but uh, I got thrown in the deep end of the pool pretty quickly and learned really fast. And, and the thing that was a great benefit for me was having some of the best wine professionals in the country that were coming through the door. Um, and I, I learned a lot from those guys uh, who went on to you know, become, some of whom became uh, you know, shakers in the, uh, in the wine industry. Uh, I worked with a very influential chef, um, Jean-Louis Paladin. Uh, mm. who uh, was really turning the town on its ear. And, and I, I had the uh, 
great fortune of, of working with him, uh, not even really knowing what it was he was doing. And, and I still talk to people, whatever it is, 35 years later, um, that we, we still don't know what we were doing <laughs> or what he was doing. And, uh, but as time went on, I look back, and, and uh, not just because he was just this great cause celeb, I mean, it's just the, uh, the amount of talent and, and more than anything, how generous the guy was uh, in terms of support and uh, steering you here and there. And uh, I would say another person, too, influential that way. I mean, I had quite a few mentors uh, when I was working in D.C., but uh, the gentleman that basically uh, was responsible for the Watergate complex, uh, Nicholas Salgo, um, had enough belief in me, too, to sort of put me in places that I was a little bit underqualified for, and I learned really quickly. Uh, so that, like, five-year period, let's say, in Washington uh, really gave me my, uh, my passion I yeah. think my direction set the compass for what I really wanted to do. And then, of course, you know, what is it when a magnet gets put close to the compass? It sends true north, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, east. Um, I got involved uh, with a restaurant as far as, you know, a partner, being a partner at a very young age. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you know. Under undercapitalized, like you know, a lot of like all of us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and uh, like this undercapitalized, underexperienced. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that but we had like a ton of energy, and uh, we we had a really cool concept. We were doing wine by the glass, um, a, a really kind of a progressive uh, program, which hadn't really been explored in the in the mid '80s, and so we were uh, pairing courses up. And, you know, that kind of like, you know, real innovative stuff that's just <laughs> you know, kind of second nature now. Um, but that lasted maybe a couple of years and then trying to pick up the pieces from a failed restaurant um, and having uh, a wife that was anxious to not live in Washington, D.C. <laughs> at the time. Um, we wound up in Indianapolis, which is where her family uh, lives. And, I, and it was probably one of the biggest fights, I would say, <laughs> that we ever had. Um, you know, her convincing me to move to Indianapolis. I, I, I think when I left Bloomington uh, in 1980, I had no designs of ever really going back to Indiana, but if I ever, except to visit. Sure. And if I ever did, well, it, was, Indi- it wasn't going to be Indianapolis. Well, in Indianapolis in the mid-'80s as well. Like, I mean, this was like, you know... King Cole like, Restaurant. Right, there was nothing downtown. No, there, they, rolled like, the side, they rolled the sidewalks up at 5. They really did. Oh, I remember... Yeah. It's, gosh, that would... So I was... <laughs> I'm not trying to, like, make you feel old here, but, I mean, I, I was a kid in the mid-'80s, and we would go downtown, like, you know, whatever, Christmas time or whatever, because we lived in the suburbs, and... And yeah, it was like at six o'clock, it was just dark and there was nothing there. Everyone went home. Everything was like, all the alleys were creepy and it was just, you know, it was like panhandlers and, you know, junkies around. Yeah. And there really was no reason to be downtown because nothing was open. The, there was a few dive bars here and there down Mass yeah. Ave and stuff like that. But I mean, 
Yeah, there, it was. It's not like it is now, and that's that's happening across the country. Of course, you know, like a lot of cities have, have grown substantially since everybody decided the suburbs suck. Yes, you know. Yes, and, and people using that sort of resource of what you have as a structure, infrastructure downtown. Um, but I, I think uh, from the visits, the annual visits I would make out here during, let's say, Christmas time, uh, and then seeing like little places pop up, whether that was, you know, Peter's on Virginia Avenue yeah. or Maxi. Which know, I have to thank, thank him for opening that place, you know, because yeah. that's, the, that's the building. Oh, that's where the building I, where Yeah, that's Square. right. That's, that's, that's right. where I got my first. We, yeah, I yeah. own that building That's now. right. That's right. So, uh, and then, you know. Uh, we, we probably have damn near the same kitchen he built in 85. It was a good kitchen. We have not changed much. There's, yeah. I, sometimes I feel efficient. like some of that equipment in there might have yeah, been in there. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's okay. But, I pay to fix it, you know, every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and then, you know, uh, Fletcher uh, Boyd had a place on, uh, on Penn. And, and I could see, like, some hope, let's say. So when we're having this discussion of moving back to Indianapolis and, and getting into the wine business, which I couldn't even fathom. Um, and, and then, of course, we came out, I think it was uh, my wife's grandmother's like 80th birthday or something. I was like, all right, well, we're going out. I'll interview with a couple of people. And, you know, I'll shake right, the bushes sure, yeah. a little bit and see what's out there. And then, uh, and then I got two offers. And uh, at that point, I couldn't back out. And um, the first company, and, and I, I have to back up a second because I always thought I wanted to be in the restaurant business or hotel business. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really where my passion was, and wine was um, a big part of that as well. But I could never really picture myself as being out there, someone, as someone selling wine. Right, the wine someone. guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, what if I went into a an accountant? You know, I was going to sell someone an 18-liter box of White Zinfandel, and, and they told me it wasn't good enough. <laughs> I, I'd be crushed. Um, but what I realized, I think, when I when I did, and 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 the condition was, I mean, we were, we were here only on trial basis. You know, sure, I'm two years tops. Thirty-something years later, I mean, right? Yeah, know, I, I have no intention of moving. <laughs> so, uh, but. Uh, but I, I did get into wholesale. I worked for a distributor when I got here. Oh, so you did go immediately into, into yeah, distribution? Yeah, yeah. And I realized um, how much jump. to go. Yeah, to go from restaurant right into being on the street. And, and I had been recruited by various wholesalers when I was in Washington. And um, I just, you know, politely told whoever it was, it just didn't really appeal to me. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. And then when I realized, you know, what my options were, you know, moving here, if I was making this kind of a move, I could make another move and and dip my toes in the in the wine industry, and just really never look back. I think there were some people I competed against on the street uh, as a sales rep that were anxious for me to go run another restaurant somewhere <laughs> right. in uh, in Indianapolis. But uh, no, it was it was it was uh, a lot of fun. I I I had some frustrations. I think in. Uh, in wholesale after a while um, and wound up getting into the retail side of it, which was another part. I just thought, like, oh, no, I could never do that. I could never do retail. And that's when I really found out, like, oh, my God, this is like this to me is like really what the wine industry is. I have a broader palette um, to choose from. Um, I can travel all around and, and there's way more uh, appeal, I think, to having a conversation with a wine producer, importer, to a retailer, I think, than there is to a wholesale rep who's mm -hmm. really 
confined to a, a portfolio. Sure. Um, but as I'm sitting here today, uh, back in the distribution business for the last 15 years, um, leaving, leaving retail, um, that's it. This is my last venture into the... Uh, so you say that, all right. So you've been in distribution for quite a while then, because you know, came yeah. in your, I mean, and then you've got your own company, Crossroad Vintners, which yeah. is how old is uh, your company? Almost 15 years. So you've been around 15 years as the and, owner. And it's a partnership. Both businesses is, is a partnership with uh, with Nolan Smith, who lives here in Indianapolis. Okay. And uh, he's a native of uh, Durban, South Africa, and he's got an interesting story himself. But uh, we've been partners from the from the beginning. He's the one that convinced me to get in the get back into wholesale. Well, I mean, you've been killing it. And that's how I know you because we've I, I've always trusted your portfolio, you know. And you've got a great Thanks. sales team as well. Thank but you. like, there's very few distributors that can come into my restaurant, and I just know that whatever it is that you put in front of me, it may not be something I'm going to buy because I may have no need for it. But I know that it's it's worth my time to taste it. Um, I think and, it's one of the things I stress to my sales reps is like, don't be afraid to take that bottle and it's wine and spirits but even if it's some place where you think they don't they're an all-american wine list why would they want to taste this muscadet or you know whatever it would be is like our mission is is not just to sell what's in our portfolio but it's really to broaden people's horizons yeah and and maybe if they've been afraid to get out of that all-American list. Maybe we can get them to, you know, there's no, there's no Muscadet. Well, that's, that's what I've always appreciated. That's produced in California. Because your teams will come in and, you know, it's not rare to have, you know, one of your sales reps come in and say, hey, I know you're not going to buy this, but it's the end of the day. Let's taste I've it I've got anyway. a quarter of a bottle. Um, it's, it's delicious. I think you might dig it. Let's, let's taste it. And yeah. so, I mean, no we, harm we, get it, we get an education. In fact, we just had this conversation earlier today. Uh, I was at the Inferno room chatting with, um, one of our um, servers, and I said, I, I don't really, I can't grasp how anybody outside of our industry can really develop a wine palette or a spirit palette um, with the proficiency that we can, because you guys come around and we have the opportunity, you know, you're just one of many distributors in town, and each of you come by with, you know, six, seven, eight wines a week or spirits. And, you know, so we can try up to 40, 45 spirits a week, maybe even more than that, depending on our time and, and appointments. But if that, if you were to try to do that at home, you have to go buy 45 bottles That's of wine. That's a big commitment. It's a huge commitment. <laughs> like, I don't know how, you know, like outside of our business, I'm not sure how people can really pull that yeah. off. Uh, and But I've always appreciated the fact that, you know, you've always been helpful in, in that education part. But I was really uh, floored when you got into the bourbon business. Yeah, me too. It seemed, yeah, right, I know. <laughs> Um, and because you got into it at a time where it was like seemingly stupid to get into it because like yeah. bourbon was the hottest thing. I mean, obviously, yeah. that's a good time. It was hot. Right. But there was also a ton of competition. Yes. Uh, actually, um, I mean, then not quite as much as there is now. Sure, of course. But And I say not quite as much. I mean, a lot less. But uh, if, if I look at that course and go back... Um, to my college days in, in Southern Indiana and uh, being exposed to uh, bourbon as uh, like the, the wine of Southern Indiana or Northern Kentucky. Uh, I drank Maker's Mark, I drank Wild Turkey, I drank Dickel, I drank, you know, uh, a, a pretty broad range of bourbons back then. Moved to DC. So this is still in the 80s then? 
This was in the 70s. Okay, yeah, so when there were hellacious deals to be found in the bourbon oh, world. Just, well, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, well, that was I remember, back, back in the days, bourbon, people couldn't even, outside of, you know. Right. He, around here. I remember listening to an interview with, uh, with with Jimmy Russell when he said, you know, it was like, oh, in the 70s, we tried everything. We were put in weird decanters and like nobody would still buy it. You oh, know, yeah. we couldn't we couldn't give the stuff away. Yeah. I mean, those guys back in those days, they they were like, uh, thank God, you know, people in Japan and people in Europe are still drinking bourbon because no one in the United States is. I mean, it all turned into vodka, mm-hmm. um, except for this. Sure. Geographical. There's always that niche, you know, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that is what's real cool about the kind of the region we're in. And it was it was an eye opener for me when I went to my first sales meeting, you know, at the wholesaler that I worked for here, and they were talking about like, you know, hey, you know, the new edition of the Elvis decanters coming out. These are really <laughs> in demand, and I'm going like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> like Elvis decanter, and I went into John's downtown, you know, and uh, and. You know, he had the best decanter. I think it was uh, the, part of the name of the store was, you know, John's Spirits and Decanters. I mean, he had every decanter, you know, the the, the Corvette series. No, I know. My the, dad collects and, those. And, and My and dad like the, still has shelves full the of them. 15 different turkeys of the wild turkey decanter, you know, in yeah. full, full plumage. Uh, That's funny that you met my dad still. He does. He has a whole wall full of those Corvette decanters. It was, it was, I mean, it was a huge deal. And, and as the thing I realized was like, wow, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm back in whiskey country. Well, what yeah, had happened, yeah, like when sure. I left whiskey country and moved to D.C. and was working there, um, and this happened a little bit too as a bartender in Bloomington, was like people would try to convert me to scotch, and it, it just wasn't my, my taste. And um, I remember uh, vividly, uh, going to a co-worker's party. Uh, I was in Capitol Hill. It's pretty late. Got there late. Um, and all the bourbon had been drank. Like, all the whiskey you have is, is like Johnny Walker Black or whatever. I guess I'll have some. And I had this epiphany. <laughs> like, I taste. I was going, you know, it was like a choir of angels. I was like, oh, wow. For some reason, the scotch tastes really good. I never drank bourbon again for years. Really? I was a converted scotch drinker, yeah. Johnny Walker did it, huh? It did it, yeah. Johnny Walker. The reason it's, one, it's, it's the best-selling whiskey in the world, right? Yeah, you know, and it was a good place to start, I think. Um, you know, it was, wasn't like drinking, like, I shouldn't mention a brand name. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> right. So, you know, as, as the world turns and, and I'm... Uh, totally wine-centric, although when I was in retail, I had struck up uh, a good relationship with Ansley Cole, who was uh, the proprietor of, is the proprietor, or was the proprietor of, uh, founder of, of Germain Robin. And he and York were up, and I knew of York's uh, reputation. I'd never met him, but I had tasted his product of St. George Distilling. They had collaborated and made Hangar One Vodka. And uh, Ansley got a hold of me and said, like, hey, look, you know, I want you to try this vodka. We we made something really special here, and I was like, I mean, this is what would have been like 1999 or 2000. It's probably like 2000, and uh, I'm like, oh, you know, all right. And I'm the wine guy. I'm not really. I'm not going to buy it for this group of stores that I worked for. That's what the owner does. He goes, oh, he's never going to buy it. But he sent me out these samples, and they were like, they really were uh, impressive. So I, I made that. I stuck my neck out, and we brought in Hanger One Vodka. Uh, at this group of stores where I was. And then as we started our dis- uh, our distributorship, Ansley was the one that said, like, hey, look, if you're doing spirits, we want you to be our distributor. And I'll always be grateful to him for that because uh, it gave us some degree of credibility. Mm-hmm. Not right away, <laughs> because when I went to see all the people that I've n- I had known for a number of years, they're going like, ah, oh, dude, 
what are you doing selling $30 vodka? I thought you were a wine guy. <laughs> uh, but for the fact that we had that um, brought other, let's say, cutting edge um, distillers, importers uh, to our portfolio, which rounded things out. And while that was going on, I was still hiring for our sales team wine people. But wine people that could tell the story of spirits. I, I, I've never really thought that's that big of a leap. Um, no, although, yeah, not although, at all. Although I do encounter some groups around the country that are my distributors that are wine-centric, that they do have a problem making that connection. But as, as the people on the spirit side call it, the wine problem, um, because they, they sell more wine than mm -hmm. spirits. But, uh, but the bourbon part of it, uh, we found out this, and this is like good fortune, you know, this is, uh, you know, things, sometimes things just, you know, fall out of the sky and they fall in your lap. But I got a call from Drew Kalsveen and uh, I, was, I was down at Bardstown uh, a few months ago and he and I were just sort of laughing about it, you know, 14 years ago when he, he called me on the phone and, and wanted me to be the distributor for uh, Kentucky Bourbon Distillers and, and Willett Distillery. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so, Oops. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell him no. At the time, I, at the time, you know, knucklehead that I am, you know, I, I've never made any claims to being, you know, a, a candidate for Mensa. But uh, I was, I was uh, at that time. I, I really wanted a scotch in the portfolio, um, and so I, I. And Drew was was pretty convincing and uh, very clear on, on what they wanted to do. And I said, well, hell, you know, like uh, our market runs right down to Louisville, so there must be some demand, you know, down there. So tell you what, why don't I just go down like next week? I'll meet, meet up with you. I'll drive down to Bardstown. You know, let's take a look. And, and I tasted through. I met his father, Evan, um, who I, I didn't know really uh, any of the history. I said, yeah, we can do something with this. And found out every order, every time I ordered, it wasn't enough. You know, it was just like, okay, bring the first order in. It's gone in three days. Okay, order twice as much. All right, good. Now it's gone in five days. Order again. Still not enough. So it's fine. Okay, just send me like, you know, a ton. And we st it's still, they're our biggest supplier. And we, we just can't get enough fast enough. Um, and it's, I mean, from our perspective, it's been a great association. Uh, and to watch what they've done as far as yeah, man. resurrecting, reviving um, the name and, and the quality of, of uh, whiskey and everything else. But it opened our eyes to, okay, this is, this is bourbon country still. Yeah, and it was, and it was, but it was, this is in 2006, let's say, 2000, right at the beginning of 2006. Yep. And so the wave was just, it was just starting to swell, right? Right. Because if I had come I from say, retail, in 06, I was like about a year and a half off of like opening our first place. Okay. I, I, now, now I'm old enough to remember our, our paths are crossing now, Bill. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. They're the gonna, 80s they're not gonna so cross. Much. They're gonna go. <laughs> right. In the 80s. Were you like really the Transformers? Were like <laughs> I was. <laughs> um, but uh, no. It, uh, but coming from retail a couple of years earlier, you know, we still had sort of iconic uh, whiskeys that were just that were on the shelf. They weren't even, you know, on the back, right behind the counter like they are now, yeah, for um, sure. Or, or if you can even get them. 
So the, it was just the starting to swell, let's say, but we could st certainly see uh, the demand. And, and we had uh, uh, a local guy here in Indiana that had a background with uh, Seagram and, and Diageo as um, developing new products and so on. Um, and he got tired of, I think, uh, Manhattan and the rat race and whatever else, however you want to describe it, corporate life. And, but he wanted to develop his own brand. So uh, he and I talked a bit about getting through the steps of distribution and getting it to the consumer, uh, a couple crash courses. And we launched that probably at the worst time you can launch something during the year, which is like the end of October. And uh, it took off. Um, and we put a lot of work in. We saw a lot of potential in what our sales force could do as wine-centric people with a bourbon, with a new product. It got us in a lot of accounts that we So probably, you were still pretty thin even on the spirit side in general. You're just we kind were. Of dipping I mean, into, like, you're dipping into whiskey primarily because you understood it a little bit more. Yeah. If, if, I'm, if I'm getting your story. It was story, an easier yeah. route. It was yeah, an easier yeah. route. And, uh, but it was interesting in my discussion with this guy. Uh, you know, he... Um, he Pretty much, he was developing something else. He had gone down to Lawrenceburg uh, to develop a, a vodka, really, which uh, at that time, I mean, Lawrenceburg is a whole other story. Um, and this, this would have been by this time, like 2010, 2011. Um, and, you know, 10 years earlier, Lawrenceburg was running seven days a week right. around the clock. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that way. You know, once, so when you're talking once about Lawrenceburg, we're talking, well, at that we're time, talking we're that, talking LDI. At that time, LDI. Which yeah. was Lawrenceburg. It's an old Seagram plant. Exactly. And so uh, we, I want to touch on that a, a little bit later here. But I mean, okay. what a lot of people don't know is that uh, there's a ton of bourbon out there that you're drinking, folks, that doesn't come from where you think it oh, comes from. Well, yeah. Know? And that's a whole other program, I think. But, but I mean, I think that's real cool. You know, I mean, obviously I do because I'm from Indiana. Right. You know, um, and but... You know, everybody's like, oh, well, first of all, there's all the misconceptions. And if, if anybody has any questions about, um, like, kind of the rules when it comes to bourbon, um, we very early on in Shift Drink did, it, did an interview with uh, Bernie Lubbers, as I think everybody has. Um, but, you know, he kind of breaks it down as he does um, with his little classes and, and, and teaches you kind of how, how to break that down and understand what bourbon is and what the laws uh, that dictate um, what can, what, what has to go into it to make it a bourbon. But... Uh, one of them is that a lot of people think that all bourbon has to come from Kentucky. Yeah. Um, and, nice job. You know, and so, <laughs> um, you know, and, and they don't realize that, I mean, yeah, although it's literally like a stone's throw from Kentucky when you're yes. in Lawrenceburg. I yes, mean, or if, you could, if you could throw a stone across yeah. the Ohio yes, River. Yes. But, uh, I mean, it's, uh, to me, I think it's real cool. And I think that that's, that story gets played as a negative a lot. Uh, now LDI is called MGP. Um, and I think that gets played as a negative a lot because there has been some like shady business practices about um, kind of like, this is our family recipe. We've been doing this for 200 years. And you yeah. find out like, no, you know, it's from an old Seagram's distillery, yeah. you know. But like apart from that, like I think it's it's they do amazing work. It's, it's like Ian A. Shear in Amsterdam in the rum world, right? I mean, I always have to tie everything back into rum because I'm, I'm more uh, in tune with that world. But they've been in business for 300 years as blenders. You know, I mean, like, if you ever buy a rum and on the back of the label it says it comes from the Netherlands, well, you fucking know sugarcane doesn't grow there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. I mean, go back. That's a perfect example of, uh, you know, someplace outside of where you think it should come from. Mm -hmm. And there being like a very robust, legitimate, high quality industry. 
Um, and I think you could, you know, throw London into that probably as well. As right. A, as yeah. A in fact, we just had Lee Fisher on talking about uh, gin and, and some of the legislation that, that, you know, they don't do distill their own um, spirit. So. Um, is that actually? Do you distribute? Yes. You, you distribute right? <laughs> All right. Well, hey. Um, yeah, you, thanks uh, for keeping it the family. <laughs> that's right, Lee. Lee. Hey, Lee. Uh, as a side note, I think he, we we got at some of it on Mike, but not the whole thing. But he he warned me on the on the tonsil thing so much. Like oh. after the when the mics were off, he's like, I, I'm not fucking kidding you, man. He's like, it's this is going to be painful. Yeah, you're doing a lot of talking. Yeah, you want me to talk some, some more? Some people give, give, your, give your tonsils. Well, some people um, have have obviously followed us on Instagram, um, Shifting Podcast on Instagram, and I put a couple of pictures up as I was as I was healing. And I, and I will tell you this, folks. I'm really glad that I had it done. It was necessary. The surgeon literally said that my tonsils looked diseased uh, when they got them out. But um, I will also say that, as I told you earlier, Bill, the last thing he said to me as we were rolling back to the OR, I thought it was going to be like, you know, kind of gas mask and like snip, snip, okay, go home, eat some ice cream, you'll be cool in three days. Lee was like, nah, it's not going to be like that. Then we went back to the OR and the, uh, the, the, the surgeon looked at me and goes, you know, this is going to suck, right? <laughs> like, all right, cool. Yeah, thanks, Guess thanks, Doc. Right, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> do you have any of those painkillers yet? And yeah. um, it was it was rough. I mean, it was documented. I put it on Instagram, and thank thank you to all of you that commented. And somebody did scare the shit out of me by commenting saying like, "Hey, I'm like four days ahead of you," and I had to be readmitted because I didn't drink enough fluids, and that changed everything while I was recovering. I went and got a ton of Gatorade, and though it hurt like a motherfucker to like swallow even water. Like even water at the time, it just, just I didn't the want of anything. Of the act yeah. of swallowing, but so I uh, instead of paying that price with every sip to stay hydrated, I just decided that I was going to pay one price every few hours. So I would just chug the whole <laughs> bottle of Gatorade and be like, "All right, that should be enough to keep me out of the hospital. I do not want to go back to get recauterized." But anyhow, well, I digress. I'm, I'm I mean, honored to be the first guest post. Yeah, uh, you're back, post, man. Post stop. <laughs> And, I was going to be a, I was going to be a heel and 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 just clam up and make you do all the talking. <laughs> I didn't lose my voice uh, any more than I you know uh, would have. I mean, <laughs> there was a comment like, "Hey, what's going to happen to your voice?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" I can't tell. Like, the were they right? Exactly. I was like, the, the, "That was my joke." I'm like, "I don't know. I might come out of this sounding like Mel Torme." You know, I mean, oh, like, hey. it might work the opposite yeah, direction. Yeah. You know, you make the jump from Tom Waits to Torme. You know. Like the velvet fog. Could, yeah, it couldn't go wrong either way, I guess. <laughs> right? But anyhow, sorry. Back to, oh, back to right. your guy. So, the, the so progression, he's checking yeah, out. So, and, um, yeah, yeah. And then he was making this, his plan was to make this sort of uh, uh, cupcake-y sort of vodka, you know, flavored. Um, and was down there because he do a lot of processing of that uh, down in Lawrenceburg. And he came across, like, stacks and stacks of barrels that had liquid in them. He's like pointing, going like, what is that? And uh, it was bourbon. It was stacked up, aged. Uh, they, they, I think there had been a contract with the government of uh, Australia, who I think does all of their, uh, they're basically responsible for all the spirits in, in, in that continent, country, whatever it would be. Uh, I mean both. <laughs> and, but they were making this sort of like, you know, this Beam and Coke in a mm -hmm. can. Oh. Um, and I don't know if you've been to Australia, but if you go in a pub, I it's, haven't. No, it's a lot of uh, kids lot of that RTDs. are 16, oh, yeah. 16 years old, and I think drinking age is eighteen. But I can tell that story too of when I was sixteen, sitting, <laughs> right. sitting in bars too. But uh, uh, but it's it's a pretty young, uh, I would say, drinking culture. But what they found was that with this ready to drink 
cocktail in a can, it was creating bigger problems than what they would have envisioned. Uh, I think they were hitting the wrong demographic. So they canceled. <laughs> the 16-year-old canceled. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't really think you want that. So uh, uh, they canceled the contract. Um, I'm sure it cost them a lot of money, but that left them with a lot of leftover inventory, let's say. So uh, this guy thought like, well, shit, if that's ready to go, then maybe I could just quickly put together a, a bourbon label. And uh, so we, as a distributor, we helped him launch that uh, and, and did launch it as a distributor for Indiana. And then when the, when the vodka was gonna get launched, he just, he just pulled the plug on us. And so that left us with you know, this whole inertia. It's just like, you know, when you're going 100 miles per hour and somebody that's like, right, yeah, uh, throws the cinder block, cinder blocks in front or whatever it is, and that still carries you, um, you know, as, as pissed off as we were for the first 10 minutes, we waited for the steam to clear. And I told my partner, Nolan, I said, you know, there's absolutely no reason why we just couldn't drive an hour and a half down to Lawrenceburg and talk to somebody down there and tell them that, w that we, we can, you know, we can do that. Sell us some barrels. Well, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> sure. uh, the drive down was easy. Getting in was fairly easy. Uh, the guy that we had the audience with, the guy that we had the meeting with, uh, Perry Ford, uh, he's still there. Uh, he's our godfather. But I mean, it was one of those like talking, talking, convincing, you know, B, C, D, E, F, and, and he just, arms crossed, nodding his head, uh, expressionless, and I'm thinking like, you know, I'm dancing as fast as I can here. <laughs> Are you gonna sell us these barrels or not? And uh, he didn't answer us right away. He said, well, let me show you around. So we, we walked around, and, uh, and, it's, and having gone uh, back to, uh, to that facility a number of times over the last six or seven years, it was a different place than, than what it is now. Uh, and, uh, uh, but still very impressive um, facility. Um, and there's quite a bit of distilling going on, uh, a lot more going on now. Uh, but uh, short story long, we, we convinced, Perry, Perry agreed to sell us 20 barrels, 53 gallon barrels. Uh, but they couldn't store it, and they weren't going to bottle it. Uh, anyone that's familiar with that facility, uh, you know, 20 barrels isn't enough to fill up a tenth of the pipeline to get to the bottling line. Mm -hmm. um, they have city blocks where the pipeline goes to the bottling facility. Uh, so the next step for us was to find a small bottler in, uh, in Bardstown. So I, I called... Uh, Drew Kalsveen, our, our, our good friend at uh, Willett, and their bottling line was too small and too busy. Uh, they were dropping clients at the time, but he did tell me about a guy uh, who had another place in Bardstown that could do that for us, and that was uh, Mike Canbar and uh, Dave Schmier, who at that time were the owners of Redemption. And, uh, they, and they, had, they had just that, a small bottling line in this big warehouse. Uh, it wasn't long before they took on more clients and they were moved. They were the original, uh, I'm not going to talk about the brands that they were doing, but they were doing a lot of popular brands that you see out there now. Uh, right, I, think the, I think, yeah. well, uh, the, but, but well, Strong Spirits, right. our bottler, 
did a lot of contract okay. bottling gotcha. for gotcha. a lot of people um, and still do. They moved into a much bigger facility uh, and they're doing like a lot of, I mean, it's busy. Uh, so when you talk about competition, there is competition at every level. There's competition for us to actually get the product that we want. Um, there is competition to get it bottled when we want. Um, there is numerous uh, brands on both sides, both at the distillery and at our bottler, that uh, that and, could squeeze us out if they wanted. And to. you were green going into this, right? Pretty green, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you yeah, had to kind of learn. Yeah, we learned really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And well, I, I can tell you, like, uh, just going down, buying the barrels, and leaving, and like walking, like out of there, like five feet off the ground, like cool, like mission accomplished. And then you know, start driving back, like what kind of whiskey are we going to do? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> what kind of bourbon are we going to do? How much is it going to cost? And uh, we were doing some crude math. Uh, by the time we got back to Indianapolis an hour and a half later, we had it all figured out. But uh, no, it, it was a process of throwing things against the wall, uh, name-wise, package-wise, uh, you know, uh, trying to hit a target retail that uh, we could live with. We've had your label designers on the show. Coda, yeah, my code, our, our Coda guys. We talked about beer branding with Coda. Your, your, yeah, your neighbors. Yeah. That's right. They are. Yeah. They, their Isaac. offices are above the yeah. uh, the Inferno room. Yeah, Isaac and Cody. Well, we figured it would be real convenient. I tried to convince them to move up the, above us. I'm like, hey, man, there's going to be a tiki bar below you. You can come down after work. Yeah. It's helpful for us because they did our branding as well. So if we have a great like, guys. hey, this graphic needs to be changed. Great guys. I'm really happy for the success those guys are having. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it might have even been uh, Neil Brown was the one that steered uh, steered me toward them, and uh, or them to to us, and um, but they didn't do the first label. It was a friend of Nolan's daughter that did the first label, and then we needed it sort of cleaned up and tightened up mm -hmm. about a year later, and that's when that's when Cody and Isaac came in from Kodo Design, and uh, and made the label really what it what it is now. So when you created the bourbon. Um, what, what what is it like in this hour and a half drive? You said you're like okay, we have the barrels now. Yeah, like you know you've got a whiskey that you have to figure out. Okay, what the fuck are we gonna do? Yeah, what, what are we gonna put in the bottle? What because, strength? I mean, what yeah. hasn't been what hasn't been you know said? What's not part of the conversation? What strength do you put it at? Where do you you know? Yeah, um, you know for like us, those are all the really difficult questions because there's a there's a lot on the shelf now. I was at. Uh, at a big box store the other day. Oh, there's a and, lot on the shelf. And, and, I, and I stopped, and you were on the shelf, but um, I stopped to look because there was this, like somebody browsing through. I'm like, ah, I always look at the rum section, and it's like right. they've got some depressing. Like, <laughs> it's very depressing. Like they've the, the stuff on the top shelf that you know has the like uh, the the security tag on it is always the like some of the most heavily sugared like practically a liqueur stuff you know like yeah and then they have appleton right next to it and it's like half the price yeah but like no security tag i'm like that yeah. you should be buying that that appleton's amazing but i started the bourbon shelf and it was like god damn there was probably like 80 bottles and some guy was just kind of like i don't know picking up bottles here and there and like i don't know so i just haven't had over. this one yet i yeah. went over I, was, I don't know i was in a good mood i probably was it was during my tonsil thing you know so i was probably still hopped up on oxycodone and uh, I was like, hey, are there anything I can help you with? I'm like, I don't work here, but maybe I can point you to the right bourbon, sir. <laughs> you know? Plus. But there's a lot on that shelf. And, like, how do you stand out? I mean, like, you've got a great label and stuff. But, I mean, as far as, like, the bourbon geeks aren't going to be necessarily buying by the label. Like, they're going to be drinking. They're going to demand a quality bourbon. And so, like, how did you, like, come to the point where, like, this is what we want it to taste like and, you know, proof and, and all that? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
a million a million variables, right? Sure. Uh, and and I I should back up again and just say I don't keep backing up, but uh, <laughs> we're just gonna do the whole interview in but, reverse. <laughs> <laughs> but we you know we were thinking about it from the from the distributor standpoint. We oh, weren't, right. we yeah, weren't sure. thinking of that ourselves. We weren't thinking of ourselves as a national brand. We we uh, just wanted to have. You know, we, we saw the power of what we had in developing this other guy's label, um, and we knew we could do it better, and uh, and you know, it, and it would it would be ours basically. Um, so Nolan uh, really pushed the idea of cask strength, which, if you think about it, um, you know, seven years ago, I'm not saying there weren't any cask strength bourbons out there. There were some strong, certainly yeah, some sure. strong bottlings out there, whether you could get any of them or not, maybe not, but uh, but it was something that was really important to us, as little filtering as possible, um, and then as far as, uh, you know, packaging, uh, one of the things, you know, Corey Johnson, that owns, uh, at, that, at that time it was Indie Cigar Bar, now Blend, uh, Blend Cigar Bar, um, and has quite a whiskey inventory himself, but one of the things he pointed out to us, like, hey, if you look at any of those bourbon labels, you can't tell it's bourbon. You can see I.W. Harper, you can see Weller, you can see Wild Turkey, you can see Beam or anything, but you can't really see, he said, you ought to put bourbon in big letters. So we took that to heart and, and uh, kept tinkering around with with it, and then that's, that's where we came up with, with Backbone Bourbon, sort of in big letters, so that if you and really, that was probably more done for me, so that when I went in someplace, I could just see if someplace had it or if they didn't. <laughs> I didn't have to scour around too much. So, uh, but we wanted it to be visible. So if we, if if there was any sort of brand identity, people could could see it, find it, order it, etc. Uh, on the flip side of that, I mean, you know, I've heard from people too. They're like, oh, it's like you know, shouting. I'm like, okay, well. What turn, it, well oh right, turn it around. The all capitals. <laughs> yeah, it's bottled at what 108 proof. Uh, the uncut, was, which was the first uh, bourbon that we put out, uh, was wh however it came out of the cask. So right. okay. batch one was like 114. Okay. And the the um, batches that have come out successively have varied um, both in age and in strength. And we went through a period um, a couple years ago where we were anticipating getting into bigger markets sooner. Um, the bigger markets came a little bit later, so we had some inventory that aged. Uh, so we were we had some eight year old uncut out oh, cool. there wow. for a while. Yeah, it was a beautiful whiskey. Um, now we're and, and we've always thought which uh, batch was this? If anybody wants to hunt this down, <laughs> yeah, I mean if if you look at like uh, fifteen, like batch fifteen, it's a great batch. Um, and but uh, uh, was I going to say that that. Uh, but we we found as those you know again we were green as those stocks were aging you know and even in the early days uh, we we're like oh angel share like we're getting less and less yield mm -hmm. we got to take a price up sure so if we started out at thirty two ninety nine or thirty four something like that it was up to you know in the forties and, and then not long after that you know it's it's been like low fifties for a few years now and we we've really made it a point to protect that. But uh, but we had to develop something that, a as we took that up, 
we could protect that sort of price point. But we, uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make too, though, is stylistically, we want uh, whiskey that has strength. We don't want it watered down. Uh, you can water it down yourself if it's too sure. strong. Um, but also, uh, we like whiskey that's not too old. Uh, we want it to get past a certain point, and but uh, we still want it to be about the grain and the mash bill, and less about the barrel. And uh, barrels are great, uh, but you reach a certain point. Barrel takes over, and your yeah. and your spirit. I, turns, I always say it's the, the diminishing returns because when the barrel takes over, I know there's a lot of people out there. They're they're always the hopheads too. It's like the guys that are like, I want a triple quadruple X IPA. Yeah, it's like the same thing with it's like I, w- I want a bourbon that's a million years old and like why? It's like sucking on a plank, man. You know, and and I'm I'm with you on that. Like I think yeah. that there, there's like there's a point at which it like hits the kind of ideal age and then it diminishes and there's some um let's just say highly 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 sought after bottles that some of their very old expressions or their oldest expression i don't like whatsoever I yeah mean, it's, it's overpriced it's not that tasty it's it's, it's and i'd much rather have the 15 year it, <laughs> so. it, 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 it might have been one of the early lessons for me um in the on on the the whiskey journey as a professional anyway uh was that you know, age didn't equate to, to right. quality necessarily. And if there's a uh, a sweet spot in in, in Scotch, I, I find for me it's in that you know eight years old, maybe a little bit older. Uh, for for rye, younger. I mean, rye you can do you know four years old and yeah. So we haven't even talked about that because like I love your rye, you yeah, got the, yeah, the yeah. bone snapper rye, man. And and you guys launched that at a time where when rye was, I mean, it's still hard to come by, but it was even harder to come by at the time that you launched that. And that was the reason that we that we did it. Um, we, well, and it's fucking uh, rye. Like but, it's what like ninety five percent rye. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is I mean we we call that the uh, the the Lawrenceburg mash, um, and it's and it's a telltale mash bill. You know if 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 you ever ask anyone that makes. Uh, rye or makes rye, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, bottles. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the mash bill? Ninety five percent. Oh, you get, I know where you get that. Um, oh, really? That's <laughs> funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's it's a Lawrenceburg mash. <laughs> but right. uh, but uh, you know we and and I, we were talking about uh, branding and labeling earlier, and 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 you were talking about marketing that sort of you know shrouded uh, the source. Yeah. For us, it was really important uh, as distributors who had seen some of that. Um, oh, it really went down one year. What was it? Was it with Bullet? Was that what it was? That when everybody started getting all up in arms about the labeling, I I can't remember what it was. There was somebody who like. A, well, I'll say this: Bullet is someone who has sourced at uh, Lawrence. Right. Like, yeah, and, I know that, and I think that's, West, that's, it, I think that's but, out there. But I, yeah, there was something that made a lot of news. Yeah, back someone in the day. who, yeah, and someone I think, who had. It was, I think it might have been Bullet. Um, it, it was that, that everyone started like was, what, and that's where MGP got on everybody's. Was, oh, it was okay. uh, Al Capone's uh, recipe. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, so like I also want to say like LDI Lawrence Lawrenceburg Distillers became MGP. Yeah. Which well, so I when, never remember what the hell it stands for. When um, we when we bought our. Uh, First barrels oh, we, bought, we, we bought them from LDI. I have my uh, I have the, my computer with me here. The Google's it's Midwest Gain or Grain Products of Indiana. So that, yeah, that's MGP. So MGPI, which you have to you know they, they put the I on so you don't confuse it with Kansas. You know World Headquarters. 
Uh, MGP's been around for for quite quite some time. Uh, one of the largest distillers actually, um, but a lot they do a lot of stuff for sort of industrial uh, sure, alcohol right, right. solvents things like that. Mm-hmm. And but they had a uh, but also I mean uh, neutral spirit uh, and so on. But they they didn't have any whiskey, and we uh, we bought our initial barrels from uh, LDI. We knew they were for sale. We were knew, we knew we were taking a risk. But I think Nolan and I have always been sort of risk takers anyway. We just always figured out, well, if we can't get it from there, we'll figure out who we'll get it from. But luckily for us, I mentioned Perry earlier, and he's, he's been a great ally for us. Um, but it was really important for us at that time to put on the back label produced in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Yeah, man. It wasn't any like great statement of like, hey, Indiana's the greatest. It's just like, hey, look. We weren't obscuring the fact no, and, we're and not that, distillers. I'm not a distiller. I, by law, I can't be. By you know, uh, uh, being, you know, challenged intellectually, I couldn't be a distiller either because I'm terrible at science. But, uh, but at, particularly as as distributors, um, it was important for us not to try to pretend some, to be something that we weren't. And again, I think there's a split there where, and because again, in my circles in the rum world versus like whiskey, you know, I think it's a lot more accepted in rum because ENA Shear is so prolific and, and it's ever present and it has been for 300 years. You're like, oh, Denizen, no, of, of course, you know, that's not, you know, it's a blend of multi island or you see that with like a, a Scarlet Ibis, you know, it's a blend of this or a blend of that and it's a blend of this, a blend of that. And, you know, the master blenders are really just as respected as the distillers and, and any of those things. But you get into the whiskey world and, you know, the bourbon uh, geeks can really get up in arms and like, well, you didn't make it yourself. Well, the, and, the real geeks can, can even tell you about all that that goes on in Kentucky, too. I mean, all the barrel trading that's sure, going on right, there yeah. and so on and, and labels that have, you know, been prolific that weren't necessarily distilled at that distillery. Uh, so it's gone on for a number of years. Yeah, and, and again, you, and, and refer back, folks, um, if you're listening, if you're really, uh, if you're a bourbon drinker or getting into bourbon anyhow, um, you know, go back to that Bernie Lebers episode because he does, he talks about the labeling. That's like his big shtick is, you know, how to read a, a label and like when you see the distilled by or bottled by and, you know, you can start to, to break that down and you see that Lawrenceburg on there and you know exactly where it came from. Yeah, our federal government. There's allowed. only two things in Lawrenceburg, a distillery and a fucking floating casino. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? to the... I'm sure there's people... we've heard about. Uh, right, yes, yeah, right. There's there's people that live there. I don't, I don't want to denigrate, you know... Yeah, I got to... They get ski slopes. I'm sure it's an amazing place to, to live, but... Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially with the, with the amount of bourbon and casinos they have, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, it was really important for us to put that information on the back label. You know, when we started, even in Indiana, and we were selling bourbon, and we put on the front label, Indiana Straight Bourbon, people were going like, um, really? Now, keep in mind, this is like seven years ago, uh, six years ago, maybe on the outside, on the inside. But uh, people in our own state were like, how can you call this bourbon? Really? It says Indiana on it. Like, well, because it only has to be made in America. It doesn't have to be made in Kentucky. And you right. alluded to this earlier. God bless the, you know, Kentucky Bourbon Association, or <laughs> yeah. Kentucky Bourbon Distillers Association, for that level of marketing that has really the whole country and the whole world convinced that bourbon has to come from Kentucky. Um, it's, it's a lot different story now. Uh, you know, I think... I, I, well, I, I, well I, I still get that. Sure. But you can't imagine even when... 
we took our brand outside of Indiana. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, you still get that because you're now. There's a lot of pushback. How many states are you in now? Uh, 26 or 27. So you're in half yeah. the country. So like, yeah, don't say only. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, like that, that's half the country, right? Like, so yeah. like half the people listening to this, that's assuming that we have somebody from every state, but you know, I mean, are, are going to be able to go and get this or at least ask their, their liquor store to bring it in. Oh, right, them. right. You know, I mean, that's huge. Cause it's not, it, it's not an old brand. I mean, no. Um, well, you haven't sold it for bazillions of dollars yet. I mean, you know, Simon Ford just, uh, you know. God bless him. I, right? I, I know. Hey, look, I, I don't even pretend to know how hard Simon and, worked. And also, to congratulations to, to Simon at Tales yesterday, man. You know, um, I mean, like the Officer's Reserve got the like best new product. And, and God damn, that stuff's so good. I actually, um, strangely enough, speaking of podcasts, um, the first time I got to try the Officer's Reserve was with you. Yep. And the second time I tried it, was a week later, I was uh, at the speakeasy with uh, Damon oh, in, uh, in Southern New York. New York. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I got to like sit in on, on Simon's thing, you know. Oh, yeah. I felt real weird like speaking on the microphone because here I have like fucking Simon fucking Ford next to me. Like, yeah. I mean, I know I curse a lot, but there, there, there should be. It's, it's like Carrie fucking King from Slayer, right? It should be Simon fucking Ford. Like, I mean... He's, he's, you know, uh, he's legend. Yeah. And yeah, like, he's, I he's, was like, don't give me a microphone. I mean, I'm sitting next to Simon. Let's talk to that guy. Yeah, you know? exactly. and, and, yeah. uh, luckily I did not get asked and, really and any questions. But. Simon's been a great ally too. You know, uh, we're, we're, his, we're his distributor here in it for Indiana. And, and, uh, he and I, back when we first met, uh, his first visit, uh, for 86 co here. And we spent quite a bit of time over a couple of days talking about, you know, uh, building a brand, getting it to a certain level uh, and all the frustrations that, that, that come with that and capital and so sure. on yeah. and uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, maneuvering, but good for him. You know, uh, I don't uh, begrudge no, Simon no. or 86 Jeez, Co. for making that all. deal at all. I mean, it's that's uh, I think it's a fantastic deal. I mean, that's the way it works. I, I learned that very early on in my career. Uh, I used to be a manager for Buffalo Wild Wings. I think I've mentioned it a couple times, maybe not that often on the show. But um, one time I was uh, kind of lamenting a um, small beer distributorship being swallowed up by a larger one. Um, and the... My, my sales rep losing his job, and it was his last week, and he came in and you know, told me this, this situation. And I said, well, that sucks, man. And he said, no, 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 this is how it works. And I said, what do you mean this is how it works? He goes, oh, no, 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 the big guys swallow up the little guys, and then they, you know, after five years, they kind of decide what the stuff that doesn't sell, and they just drop that from the portfolio, <laughs> and then somebody else picks it up. Right. They build those up, and then five years later, somebody buys that company. Yeah, yeah. And it's just constantly like little fishy, you know, or the big fishy, little fish, and uh, you know this. So, in answer your question, life. I mean, I guess we're just not that not that appealing yet. For, not yet, uh, but for, I mean, you know, twenty six states. I mean, you've got uh, yeah, you we have a presence. Twenty four more to go. We have a presence for sure. I mean, we're in, we're in uh, some great markets. We have some really good distributors in, in a lot of our markets that get us into some great spots. Um, I've seen but, your bourbon in some amazing spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so have I, and I've been sometimes... Michelin stars sometimes, and all, yeah. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I've been surprised by it, but uh, I have to say, but uh, I, uh, I, I... We talked about competition earlier, and, and you know, going... When we made that decision to, to get outside of Indiana... Uh, you know, I, I had friends of mine that were distributor that are our distributors in other states that were mad when they found out that I had a bourbon. So if you think back in like 2011, 2012, they're like, 
hey, fucker, you've got a bourbon you didn't tell me? I want a, I want a pallet. I'm like, uh, we're not, you know, <laughs> right. set up yet to Don't get out there. <laughs> and then, you know, so, but it gave us a little bit of an indication that, wow, there's demand outside of our home market. Um, we started a separate company from our distributorship uh, to handle the, the, the uh, bourbon side of it. Because yeah, we, I don't think that, that anybody in our group really necessarily looked at Backbone as like, oh, this is the crossroads kind of like house bottling. Like, yeah, we, it was. It always felt like a we, separate. We tried to we tried to give yeah. it its own identity uh, where we could, and um, uh, and I still even to this day. I mean, there's people that have known me for years. that go like, wait, that's yours. <laughs> That's the way we've that's tried. Good. That's good. That's a hell of a compliment. And you've done it. You've, you've done it. it. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, a lot of that sort of uh, the things, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but, you know, for us. Uh, <laughs> that's how we do here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep you from talking. Just keep your, give your time. Oh, I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm, right. I'm really Sound excited good. that I get to use my voice now. You know, <laughs> It's been a month now. So, uh, no, it, transparency was really uh, important for us. Let people know it was from Lawrenceburg. Let people know we're not this. And, you know, we, and we got a lot of pushback in the early days. Oh, you didn't make this. I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't. But, right. you know, let me point at half <laughs> right. of your selection that that person that came in here and sold it to you didn't make. Um, you got anything and, and on came, that? And came from the same place right. where we got, got You got anything ours. on that shelf that's 95% right? And then, <laughs> exactly. So, but, you know, over time, it became less and less of, of an issue. And right. it's, it's really hardly even an issue now. And, and there's some, some people in, in some great high-profile retail accounts that were just like, look, all I care is, does the whiskey taste good? I'm mm -hmm. like, hallelujah, thank you. You know, you're not trying to, like, take a stand and be a purist because... Um, I think even the people that make their own, you know, in the last seven or eight years will tell you their first batches weren't all that hot. Uh, that's what I was going to say. So you think that it coincides with like the, the proliferation of craft distilling, like even though you're not distilling yourself, but I mean, you know, here's all these craft distillers coming about. And so I, I, I said this a lot when that started happening, um, you started seeing these smaller distilleries open and they were like, oh, here's our vodka, here's our gin and here's our shitty rum, you know? <laughs> I mean, they all had a hard time with rum because it was kind of like an afterthought. It's like, I ah, will do gin and vodka, but oh yeah, well we could, I guess we could do rum. And, and but they never had whiskey because they had to age it. And and I always said, God, look at how much money they just dumped into that distillery. You know that they, they can produce very small amounts. They can't really get out there. I'm like, they just dumped, you know, four hundred thousand dollars into building this place, getting their stills, getting their licensing. I'm like, if that were me and I had an extra four hundred grand to spend, I'm like, you bet your ass, I would have driven down to Lawrenceburg and put out God, one so. hell of a product that like that I would have never been capable of making on my own because I'm not a distiller you know and I don't know the science behind that and if I wanted to put out a quality product that's exactly how I would have done it and I just didn't understand why that was happening in that way and so like do you think that those small distillers like at that time you know again we're talking what eight nine years ago when we really started seeing craft distilling explode that that kind of coincided with people not caring as much that it was you know coming so from i would say it, it it coincided but i'm not sure if one variable led to, to the yeah, other sure. result um but i'll say this and, and i'll give a lot of the credit to the to the distillers that are out there uh, it's really not as easy as, you know, the recipe, putting it in a barrel. No, not at and all. And take it out. There's so out. much art still left in it. Yeah, I, th I think there is. And I think, too, there was, in some cases, you know, when you take your pro you take your make and you put it in a, in a, in a small barrel, uh, you know, it's just there's no substitute, really, for that 
53 gallon or larger in some cases uh, aging, mm-hmm. 53 gallon barrel aging uh, over time. You know whether that's uh, two years for rye or three and a half, four years for bourbon. Um, I think a lot of people have sort of t- uh, tuned in and dialed it in as far as, okay, well, I can use a 30-gallon, but I'll, I'm only going to put it in there for, you know, a year and a half or two years. I'll just barely get it to a straight. But you can't, you can't make a straight right. bourbon from a 15-gallon. Well, those mathematical equations barrel. don't work, right? Like, it's, I mean, now we get into the science of it. But, like, I mean, you can't just, like, oh, we'll use a smaller barrel or a bigger barrel for more contact. And, like, th- th- there's been a lot of people trying to figure out how to, like, quickly age spirits or a shortcut and there just really yeah, isn't and one. There aren't, there aren't, you know, there at are. least none that we've discovered. And, and there's a lot of, you know, let's call them, you know, experiments Attempts. or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are. Um, and, 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 you know, as a buyer and, and I, and I'm a buyer too. Uh, and some of those things that come across your desk and, you know, you can smell it five feet away, 10 feet away. Uh, oh, almost everything. I'll tell you one of the, one of the harshest, judges, if I can use that word, is, is your associate, Josh Gonzalez, who, you know, like, <laughs> that small barrel shit, I can, you know, I can smell it a mile away. Yeah, Josh was uh, just on a few weeks ago, yeah. yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's a tough judge. <laughs> he is. I mean, he's the whiskey guy but he's in, also, the, in the company, he's, you know? He's a, he's, a, he's a great supporter of ours and, and has been, and, and, uh, and, but, he, but for him, he recognizes, you know, what, what, what the quality is, and if that quality is in there, then he's, he'll buy it and he'll use it. Um, if it isn't, He's not going to buy it just because it's local or just, you know, right? because it's cool to do. And so that whole, you know, on the topic of that craft category, it's been a pretty, um, it's been a long road, I think. Um, but it, as many of that pop up, the ones that have been doing it for a while, their product really shows really well. Um, and but if you ask any of them, I'm sure you've had them on anyway. They'll tell you like, wow, our first few batches just were not good. Always. Yes. I mean, I'll give you a guy. Uh, he's not from Indiana. He's from Virginia. He was like an early whiskey uh, distiller, American whiskey distiller, like in the in the new age. Is Rick Wasman? I mean, his first batches were like, I was like, oh my god, I'm, I'm pretty sure we won't be the distributor for this. <laughs> and a couple years go by, and you know, somebody told me, convinced me to taste it again at least taste it again sure yeah and uh it's like okay well yeah we can do something with this It's really cool it's a malt whiskey you know from virginia and you know and and it has interesting uh the barrel treatment is is really interesting and his batches successively got got better and better um but rick was you know he's the first guy that'll tell you like oh my god like those first batches i wouldn't i I would have been surprised if you bought them too you know they (laughs) they sucked um, there's so but, much. Uh, there's so much going on in the spirits world right now, and I, I, I mean, this is, you know, we can't get that deep into it today. But you know, there's just, as far as like all these craft distillers popping up, and like they're, they're getting much larger in production, and it's not um, all bad. It's, 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 it's really fun, you know, to yeah. see. And I and I'll taste damn near anything that goes in front of me, um, you know, because I'm always curious. Because there's some amazing things happening, and sometimes it's it's very under the radar. I know. Um, I mean, Privateer Rum, it's with Maggie, it's, it, it's insane the quality of what she's putting out. And um, it's, it was largely under the radar for a long time. And then all of a sudden, everybody was like, 
wait a minute, what the fuck? <laughs> What's happening over here? How, you know, how do I get my hands on this? Um, but and, and at the same time, there's you know the um, people that haven't been afraid to step out like you, um, and say you know we we don't have to be our own distillers to to put out a quality product. We just have to care yeah. about what makes it into the bottle. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm, and that's that's where I think the biggest issue has been. I think, and that's across the board between whether you make your own you know spirit or not, or whether you're just a bottle or a new glossion. Um, if if you don't care what goes into the bottle, then cool, we're going to end up with. White Zinfandel with, you know, a ton of sugar in it or, you know, Fireball. Um, I, I don't mind calling that out because I don't think that we're ever going to have anybody from Fireball on the show. <laughs> like, I don't even yeah. know. I don't even know who produces it. I, like, I've, I've, the only time I've ever had it, and this isn't even bullshit, is at Max Club Deuce. I will drink it when I'm at the Deuce in Miami when it's like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. Actually, it's usually closer to 5. You've already made a few bad decisions. Well, it's like 5 o'clock in the morning, I guess, yeah. if, I'm being, oh, night, if I'm being honest. A nightcap. It's well. They close at like they close at five. Yeah, and then, is that right? Yeah, they close at five. They kick so they, you out at like five. So they can clean the place. They do, and then they reopen at like seven or eight or yeah. whatever it is. But yeah, I'll do Fireball and, and and PBR when I'm at the Deuce. But other than that, no, I'm 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 I'm, I'm an elitist when it comes to Fireball. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, oh, yeah. I can tell. But you know, like, uh, but you know, there's there is so much going out there, going on out there, and so I will taste it uh, um, because there's but, there's some exciting things. Yeah, there's a uh, you know to going from the distribution side and I, I spoke about York and uh, St. George distilling earlier Yeah, and he made I think one of the first American malt whiskeys um, St. St. George whiskey, malt whiskey and in 2001 or 2002 trying to convince someone who was a scotch drinker or, sure. or a bourbon drinker or a whiskey drinker to drink that and they would come back and like hey how'd you like that they were like I don't think I like that very much the whiskey was great they're the St. George, but it didn't. It didn't. Or, it didn't fit in with, you know, the right. bourbon category, and it didn't fit in with the Scotch category. But now, I mean, that malt uh, category is is a uh, much more robust uh, category in the whiskey world, as is Japanese whiskey, as is yeah. Irish whiskey, which you only had two choices once sure. upon a time, maybe three. Um, now you have uh, un- twenty five or yeah. thirty choices, and that's an from, from Ireland, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so the whiskey world is just like, it's just, I mean, it's exploding for lack of a better word. It's, it's just mind blowing, uh, how many selections there are from various countries, styles, uh, et cetera. Look at how stodgy the scotch world was not yeah. that long ago. And that's a great word and, to describe. And now. And not necessarily about scotch. And well, they, like, they about purposely try yeah. to keep it that way. Right. Yeah. Um, it's fun listening to you talk, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because your brain just seemingly it, it it's going back and forth between like I'm the backbone guy and, and, then, tr- and then trying to answer and, your and question. It, but, but no, but you're also the distributor, right? Like I mean, you oh, also yeah, yeah, yeah. have all these other brands that you really feel strongly uh, in support of. Yeah. And so yeah, it's fun to watch you like flip that switch between yeah, like kind of wearing a different hat. Yeah, that's that's you why know? I don't have any hair on top of my hair. <laughs> right. Switching hats. That's why all you have the time. to wear a hat? Switching, you know? <laughs> switching hats all the time. But uh, but answer anyway. Answer your question about Rye. Um, you know, we had had a run cut out. Uh, backbone bourbon on cutout for uh, several months, and we were getting pushback almost immediately from our customers. You need to do a rye, and we could we knew the reasons. Uh, 
the movement of uh, the, the cocktail movement was taking hold. Yeah, definitely around. And that, that required time. that required rye. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had like two choices back then. <laughs> well, I mean, going back and again, not even that much further back. Yeah, you. I mean, rye was something bottom shelf. Yep. Two choices, maybe three, but I call it old, old overcoat. But you know, old overcoat <laughs> and Jim Beam rye. One or the other was always out. Yeah. Uh, they were dusty. Nobody really needed rye for anything. Um, Wild Turkey had a great, or has a, a great rye, and yeah, always has had a great rye. Uh, but that was like, you know, pretty rare. Uh, but as, as this movement uh, took hold and the, the, the demand for rye was increasing, uh, and, and for us as a distributor, uh, we were getting the Willet rye, which uh, they were sourcing in, in Lawrenceburg. It was mm-hmm. high proof. Uh, it was young. We couldn't get it fast enough. Um, you know, the, the, the Colossians pulled back from that program to do their own distillery and do their own make. Uh, we rushed down to Lawrenceburg and said, hey, thanks for the bourbon barrels. Now we need rye barrels. <laughs> right. And we developed uh, Bone Snapper Rye about, and released about a year after we did our first release of uh, the uncut bourbon. And it it took off, uh, you know, and however many years later in, in all the states I mentioned, it's the number one seller in almost every state really? that we're in. Yeah. And, and do you it's attribute not, that, not even close. Do you think, do you attribute that to the fact that there's still kind of a, a, a hole in the market? There? A little bit. I mean, yeah, there is still like kind of a, a, a deficiency. Bit. Not so, not so loud. Not, not as much <laughs> as it used to be, but I mean, there's definitely still no, a deficiency. Yeah, there is, I think. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I'll, and I'll say this too. I mean, uh, as much as I love the, the, the bourbon, so loud. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love the uh, uh, the bourbon that we that we source, um, I love that rye. From, from MGP. That rye is it's just good, phenomenal. Man. And and you know we 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 were buying barrels that were probably you know like six months old, uh, and we would you know trial them as as time goes on. And we found that you know it gets to about eighteen months. It's like really when it just sheds a lot of that graininess and that cereal quality. And uh, turns into like whiskey, and but we want to keep it. We've always wanted to keep it a straight uh, rye. So it gets to two, got to 24 months, and man, we slapped the label on there and let's go. Now we're, we're at about 30. We find that's our sweet spot, about 30 months. Again, we want to keep that sort of youthful, that vigor, that vibrancy. Uh, rye has a lot of complexity. It does, I man. think, and uh, it, it's you know it it changes. Uh, you know, with everything, just like a little bit of water, you know, a little bit of vermouth, whatever it is you're going to complement mm-hmm. it with, and it turns into a different animal, and it's, just, and it's a great base to, to make a cocktail. Everything. With. It's one of my favorites. So as we wind down, where can people find um, all of, is there one website where all of this stuff is listed? Because I found, like, Backbone's website, and I found, like, we're We're redoing our, uh, our Backbone bourbon um, dot com website. Give us an, a couple of months. Okay. Uh, to where I mean, it'll be where we want. There. Yeah. W- when we started out, I think uh, we had a lot of information on there that was that was really uh, helpful. And you know, we're kind of a Spartan group, so we don't. You know, I don't really wear a web developer hat very well. We we put batch information on there as far as age, strength, uh, mash bill, etc. Um, where you can buy it market by market, we hope, um, but it's in development, redevelopment 
right okay. now. Uh, and you'll also so be, able you get get bone, like be able to get the Bone Snapper information on there as well. Is it all, but is it separated right now? Because I found like a Bone Snapper website. And there is. It. Okay. You know, we were a little bit splintered when we were uh, getting. No, that's why I was going. asking. Because if somebody yeah, listens we, to this, they they will be able to find like some info on Bone Snapper Eye and and Backbone. But they may be on two separate websites at the moment. But they will be put together. So yes, um, and and that's I mean, shame on us for for uh, in this day and age not having a. a a sure. easier uh, website to work And if anybody with. has an issue with that, um, Bill's phone number is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, um, you know, I, I, I've got to ask because, you know, I've, I've God damn, I'm just, I'm, I say God damn because I'm like, my brain's just immediately going back and like the, the, that moment before you die and having all those like flash your life flashes before your eyes I keep, I cheating, saying, I keep cheating death I'm thinking about like you know I was like you, I was gonna ask you know do you have any hangover cures and I'm thinking about all the times where I've randomly run into you yes <laughs> you know yes and I've needed a hangover cure on every single one of those nights <laughs> actually I remember distinctly there was a night in Chicago and I was sitting and I was getting hammered with Joshua Gonzalez yes and we were at the drifter yes and we were drinking Malort out of the damn trumpet thing or whatever yeah. where, where uh, I think Mia Leach was I came pouring pouring Malort down this thing and, <laughs> and I made fun of it. Josh she poured it down Josh so I was like ah you stupid motherfucker and she was like oh you think you're so smart yoink plop right in my mouth Malort going down my mouth I walked and in then, 30 minutes later and so yeah so I'm like heading towards the to the restroom um, and I was so hammered I couldn't find my way back in because I didn't realize we were in a speakeasy oh that's right yeah so yeah. like I couldn't find the door and I because opened, I was I so door. drunk and so <laughs> I go to the restroom a second time and that's, I think, when I walk past you. Yeah. And, and yeah, you open the door for me. I will go to the restroom. <laughs> and I'm standing in the restroom, and I come out, I wash my hands, and I start to go back in the, the, the door to the drifter, and at my brain, and I'm not shitting you. I've never told you this, I don't think. My brain said, okay, it's, it's 1.30 a.m. Yes. Bill just got here. Yes. I know how this is going to go, yes. and I'm already drunk. Yes. Because we had been drinking since noon. We were with the Mount Gay guys. Um, so Malgay had sorry, a missed, blending sorry, session that. and, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was quite insane. We were with their, their distiller, um, and had hung out Well, they've actually just recently changed distillers. We're not doing a rum episode at the moment. So, but <laughs> we, we were plenty lit and, and I, my brain literally said, Bill's in there. He just got here. I'm already drunk. And I was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm ghosting. And I just yeah. disappeared. I didn't even go back in the bar. I went back <laughs> upstairs and I, and I went to go leave. Uh, to walk back to our hotel, hotel, which was two blocks away. And uh, I went seven blocks in the opposite direction. Um, <laughs> so, maybe not seven, but it sure felt like it. And I went quite a, a ways in the opposite direction by mistake. And I ended up calling an Uber. And, and he got he just looked at the, the, the map. It was in a straight line in the opposite direction. And he turned around and he just looked at me. He said, really? And I said, I'm fucking drunk. Will you just take me back to my hotel? <laughs> you know? Like, all because of you, Bill. Well, I, I wound up... Uh, but there's got to be a hangover cure. Uh, I don't know if there is. No? Uh, it's just uh, don't drink with Bill Kennedy. <laughs> you know? Or BK. So everybody in Indiana, <laughs> like, I don't know anybody that doesn't call you BK. Yeah, I, I don't. Even your email is BK. Well, I, that's how I, I just put my initials on there to sign off. But um, uh, no, there, there's no hangover cure. cure. No, just, just, drink, just, drink, just drink less. Yeah, drink more bones. And, and at my uh, <laughs> my tender age, I I, uh, I just try to get more sleep. But yeah. that's that's probably the biggest. Is challenge. that efficient? 
if I, I get, well, if I get sleep, sleep, it's great. Right. Yeah, I'm, I guess that's what but I was getting at. But I can tell you that. The sleep sufficient, getting it is very difficult. Since we're telling the story of that evening. Our, our, oh, you our, remember this our, evening? Our chance encounter. Really? That was so long ago. You remember that? I do. I'll tell you the reason I remember. We, I, I, was, I was doing a kickoff meeting with my Chicago distributor the next morning. <laughs> and I was so nervous. Uh, first of all, uh, I think you did mention that Josh Gonzalez was there. Was there. Yeah, you, Josh was there, you, yeah. You can... We can edit that out if, if, that's a, <laughs> if, that, if that's a big issue. Sorry, Josh. But uh, I wound up hanging out there. He introduces me to all the bar... And all those bartenders that were there are honchos, like, you know... Oh, everybody's a fucking badass, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I mean, they went on to, like, run other bars, open other bars, and uh, as, as Josh says... It was a really unique time for, for Chicago, too, in that era. I mean, it yeah, was... Yeah. The whole city was being run by some of the country's best bartenders. And there were, and 90% of them were women. Yes, that's right. Well, shit, at the time at Drifter, I think it was like, was I think women. Anna Marie was there, Liz Pierce was there, yeah. Mia Leach was True. there. It was like, God damn, everybody's yeah. all in one place? That's yeah. insane. That's what I'm saying. And, and you know, I, I didn't know who they were. I knew who they were a year later. Sure. Uh, but no, I, we, we were, we, I think, closed that place. We, we went and got quote unquote breakfast. I had, I had to be at my distributors at like, I think nine o'clock, right? <laughs> and I was staying downtown or on, on the north, uh, river north, and my distributors out like in the suburbs someplace. And I was like really nervous about like, oh shit, like I'm gonna get caught in traffic. I'm, you know, I don't want to be like that guy that you know. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, right. So I get up extra early anyway. So after two hours of sleep, Jesus, <laughs> I get in my car and like you know wipe the blood out of my eyes. I get to my distributors like 45 minutes early. Now I'm just like in no man's land. Like, oh, Christ, now what am I going to do? You know, go get a donut. You know? <laughs> <laughs> go in and face the music, you know, and, and just sit in the lobby. Uh, but I went in, slayed the presentation, the intro, and, and it took me like eight hours to drive home of what would normally be a, let's say, three-hour drive home. It's a rough night, man. <laughs> well, Bill... I mean, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. And thanks for all those insane nights where I've run into you. And I'm like, uh-oh, BK's here. It's going to be a rough night. Easy on, I like to think I go easy on people. You, know, you don't. You don't. You I, do not go easy I, on people. I, I, it's not like we're doing shots. No. We're just no, having a lively that, that conversation and a couple drinks. So, well, I hope to see you again soon. And definitely, if you're out there listening, you know, look for, um, you know, Backbone, the bone snapper, the, bone snapper, the back, right. backbone, all of the above. And you, you, you still got the gen as well. The bone dry, bone dry gen. gen. Yep. yep. So I've, all the labels look pretty um, cohesive. So you'll. Thanks, Kodo. Yeah. Ding. That's right. Kodo, listen to her. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're cross promoting Kodo Design yeah, earlier episodes. So, all right, Bill. Well, we'll hope to uh, have you on the show again. Thanks, And, Ed. and, and thanks for the uh, thanks for nothing on the hangover cure. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no charge. Cheers, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers to you.